So, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is 1 to 13, the bad example of Israel. Let's just have a look at verses 1 to 4 one more time. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Now, here's a question for you. Who do you think this person is? Does anyone recognise him? And children, there's a clue for you, and maybe some adults, in your worksheets, in the questions. Who do you think that man could be? Go on, Tilly. Thomas Goodwin. Yeah, you knew that, didn't you? That is Thomas Goodwin. Well, the question is, who's Thomas Goodwin? I don't know a huge amount about him, I'm ashamed to say. But he graduated from Cambridge College. Cambridge University. So uh, the sort of college was Christ's College. And then he became a fellow. Is that just a posh word for a lecturer? Is that right, Austin? Fellow, pretty much, yeah. He became a fellow in uh, Catherine's Hall, which I think today is uh, sort of St. Catherine's College. But he's most famous for being uh, Oliver Cromwell's chaplain. But maybe less said about that, maybe the better. I don't know what your views are. But he was also president of, is it Magdalen College in Oxford? He's president of Magdalen College for 10 years. And, but the most amazing thing about Thomas Goodwin, he was a pastor for 20 years in a church in London. I think it's Fetham Lane, is it? In, uh, and he was a pastor until he was 80. So he was a pastor from the age of 60 till he was 80 in Fetham Lane in London, which is quite amazing, isn't it? But I think the big thing is he probably wasn't a moron, was he? if he graduated from Cambridge and was president of a college in Oxford. Well, this is what uh, Thomas Goodwin said. The Jewish church in the wilderness enjoyed the same sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper as we do now. And that's him commentating on 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 there. It's quite a profound thing to say, isn't it? Uh, I wonder, do, do we agree with him? Well, I don't really want to argue with him, but I think it's, it's, it's quite helpful. But um, let, let's see, let's see if that is true. What about verse 2? Let's begin with verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So I said last week that I'd probably try and answer this question. What on earth does it mean to be baptised into Moses? Well, I think there are four possible answers to this question. It is one of those tough texts of the Bible, which no one probably has maybe answered adequately. But I've, I've looked at the commentators, and there are four possible answers, and then you can probably decide which is the best one. Or maybe all four of them are right. So the first one is... That baptised into Moses means a term that Paul used to humble the church at Corinth. So a term the Apostle Paul used just to humble the church at Corinth. Because from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it seems as if 
the church at Corinth were proud of who baptised them. They were probably proud of the fact that the Apostle Paul baptised them. And we get that impression, don't we, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. What do we read there? One of you says, I follow Paul, another I follow Paulus, another I follow Cephas, still another I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptise any of you, except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptised in my name. So maybe some people at the church in Corinth were saying, well, we were baptised by the Apostle Peter. We were baptised by Apollos. We were baptised by the Apostle Paul. So basically, Paul is saying, you think you're proud? You're being proud of the fact because of who baptised you. What about these lot? They were baptised by Moses. They were baptised by Moses. The ancient church in the wilderness was sort of ceremonially washed with water by Moses. And most of them were killed. So if you think you're something just because you were ceremonially washed in water by me or Peter or Apollos, well, these guys, they were baptised by Moses, the daddy, wasn't it? Most of them were killed. And then the second possible answer is that baptised into Moses means a sign of being under the leadership of Moses. A sign of being under the leadership of Moses. So when we baptise people, it's a sign that they've come under the leadership of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Uh, The ancient church, before they baptised people, well, the early church, before they baptised people, would say, do you confess your faith? And then they would answer, Jesus is Lord. And I think the last... A few baptisms we've had here. We've asked that question, isn't it? Do you confess your faith? And do you remember Emily and Des and Rosie sort of said, Jesus is Lord, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing. And then they go down into the water and back up. So baptised into Moses could mean they came under the leadership of Moses. Now Moses wasn't their saviour, was he? Moses was just God's appointed leader for the church in the wilderness. So that's the maybe second possible answer, that they came under the leadership of Moses, a symbol of being under the leadership of Moses. And then thirdly, baptism is also a sign that we're united to Jesus. And we see that in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, don't we? Romans 6, verses 1 to 5. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptised into Christ Jesus, were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So 
baptized into Moses was like a symbol of being sort of united to Moses, the, uni- the ancient church in the wilderness being united to Moses. So the Exodus really should have united the Jewish church to Moses, shouldn't it? Because they went through a lot together, didn't they? They went through slavery together. They went through the ten plagues. The tenth plague being the Passover, isn't it? That was huge. And then the crossing of the Red Sea. And do you find that when you do go through maybe an intense and dramatic experience with someone, you're sort of united to them? Sometimes it sort of just takes like a look or a nod and you just remember, yeah, I remember what we went through together. We are sort of united together because of what we went through. Like uh, the lad I had a near-death experience with um, when we had a sort of serious car accident. It was like after that, we just had to have a look. It's like, yeah. So, you know, there was a change in the relationship because of what we went through together. So that would have really sort of united, it should have really united uh, Israel and Moses. And then, uh, fourthly then, it was a symbol of belonging to God's people. A symbol of belonging to God's people. So, um, obviously, the male, the, ma- the sort of sign for males that they belong to God's people was, was circumcision. But obviously, that's not a sign that everyone could sort of display, is it? Sort of um, identify with. But everyone went through the cloud and the sea, didn't they? So it was a symbol, being baptised into Moses, could be a symbol of belonging to God's people. Look at verse 2 again. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now that gives you the impression that they got wet. Because what is a cloud? It's basically a ball of vapour and mist, isn't it? You walk through a cloud and you're going to be wet, isn't it? Because as a child, I used to think that you could sort of eat clouds like marshmallow or something like that. <laughs> but it, you're just going to get soaking wet if you go through a cloud. It won't be like a, like a magical, mystical experience. So I believe it was a symbol of belonging to God's people, this sort of being washed in water. And us being sort of ceremonially washed in water is a symbol that we belong to God's people, the church, isn't it? Because baptism is the way into the church. That's why we asked Mark this morning, isn't it? Have you been baptised? If he'd have said, oh, actually, do you know, I haven't been baptised. Well, maybe we should sort of put this membership thing on hold a bit, you know? You need to be obedient. You need to get baptised. It's the way into the church, isn't it? It's always the pattern, isn't it? Repenting. Believing, being baptised, and then being added to the church. So that's baptised into Moses. Is that clear? You say, no, still don't know what it means. Baptised into Moses. So it was probably maybe Paul humbling the church at Corinth. Oh, you think you've been baptised by the Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, or Paulus? Being baptised baptized by Moses? No, well, you're nothing. <laughs> You're nothing really. You're humbling them. Um, Or baptising to Moses could be coming under the leadership of Moses, a symbol of coming under the leadership of Moses, as baptism for us is coming under the leadership of Christ. 
are being united to Moses. We're united to Christ in baptism, isn't it? Uh, United to him in his death and his resurrection. Baptism is a symbol of death and resurrection. Uh, A symbol of belonging to God's people. Symbolically, we belong to God's people because we've gone through the waters of baptism. So that's that. But what about this um, spiritual food and drink? That's an interesting one, isn't it? What do we read there in verse 3? Which is probably very relevant to what we'll be doing in a short while. They all ate the same spiritual food. Can you see that in verse 3? They all ate the same spiritual food. What is that about? Well, God provided uh, the ancient church in the wilderness with bread from heaven. Which is amazing, isn't it? Two million people provided with bread from heaven every day. Apart from the Sabbath day, apart from Saturdays. They'd have a double portion on Friday, wouldn't they? So bread every day, apart from Saturdays. And he provided them with water from the rock, didn't he? That's what we read in verse 4. And drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So what does spiritual food and drink mean? What does spiritual food and drink mean? Does it mean sort of invisible food? Did you ever get that maybe? um, Have you ever had children sort of serving you invisible food? I've made you a cup of tea and it's just like a wooden cup with nothing in it. Or they provide you with, I've made you fish fingers and chips and it's just planks of wood or something like that, isn't it? Oh, lovely. (laughs) But it's just, is, is that what spiritual food is? Sort of invisible food. And what is a spiritual rock? What is that? Well, let's begin with a rock. We'll come back to the food and drink. What is the spiritual rock? Well, it wasn't like an invisible rock or like a a mystical type of rock. Um, Some sort of uh, ancient Jewish writings have said that it it was actually a, a rock that moved with them. It kind of had like legs or something. It sort of morphed into almost like a a human form and walked with them. No, it was an actual real rock. And water came out of this rock. Uh, In Exodus, Moses had to sort of uh, strike the rock, didn't he? God told Moses to strike the rock in Exodus and water would come out. And then in Numbers, he had to speak to the rock, but he hit it sort of two times with a stick, didn't he? So he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land then. And it also says that rock was Christ. So did Jesus sort of turn into a rock like a sci-fi movie, like Transformers? Or um, Has anyone seen the the Noah film? It's rubbish, isn't it? Have you seen the Noah film? And yeah, have you seen it? Where the rocks sort of turn into like these angels called the Watchers or something, isn't it? These giant Watchers. It's absolutely ridiculous. But some people actually believe this, that this rock sort of morphed into this human sort of, sort of giant type thing, isn't it? But it's not that. <laughs> it was just a normal rock. It was just a normal rock, but it was called a spiritual rock because it was supposed to teach the Jewish church a gospel lesson. 
Something is called spiritual if it teaches us a gospel lesson. And what is the gospel lesson in calling Jesus Christ a rock, a spiritual rock? Jesus is like a rock, isn't he? What is a rock like? Well, a rock is firm. It's strong, isn't it? It's dependable. You can cling to a rock in a storm. You can hide in the rock in the storm, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus does? When we're going through the storms of life, we hide in Jesus, don't we? We hold on to him in the storms of life, isn't it? We cling to him. He's not weak, is he, Jesus? He's strong, firm, dependable, and heavy. And then water came out of the rock. And it was real water. It wasn't invisible water. Physical water came out of this rock. But the water, or the drink, is called spiritual. Why is the drink called spiritual? Again, because it teaches us a gospel lesson. What is the gospel lesson in this spiritual drink? Well, Jesus quenches our dry and thirsty, thirsty souls, isn't it? It's wonderful, isn't it, to call sort of Jesus sort of uh, water, isn't it, or a drink for our soul, or the Lord God, isn't it, particularly the Holy Spirit, this living water, isn't it? Because very often, do you sort of feel sort of spiritually dry and thirsty? What do we need to do? We need to look to Jesus so he can give us his living water, isn't it? The spirit out of him flows this living water that we need. <clears throat> and then the, the bread from heaven wasn't just to fill their stomachs, was it? It wasn't just to fill their stomachs. And they received real food, didn't they? They received real food from heaven. But it was called spiritual food. Again, why was it called spiritual food? Because it was supposed to teach them a gospel lesson. Uh, what do we read in Romans, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 8? Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 to 3. So God didn't sort of feed um, the Jewish church in the wilderness just because they were hungry. He's trying to teach them a lesson. He actually made them hungry, we read in this passage, because he needed to teach them a lesson. Uh, This is very helpful, I think. Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 to 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness, these 40 years, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. And then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So what is the gospel lesson from this spiritual food that the church in the wilderness received? Well, Jesus is the bread of life who nourishes and satisfies our souls, isn't it? And he is also the word of God. Jesus is the word of God, isn't he? Who comes from the Father. Now sort of this food we've got here. So we've got food and drink here. And this food and drink can also be called spiritual food and drink. 
Not that it's sort of magic bread, is it? Or magic drink in any way. Why can this be called sort of spiritual food and drink? Because it teaches us a gospel lesson, doesn't it? Profound gospel lessons in this bread that we're going to break and eat. Profound gospel lessons in the cups of red grape juice that we're going to drink from. What do we read there in verses 3 and 4? They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. So when we eat this bread, when we break this bread, it reminds us of Jesus' body torn for us, isn't it? Torn and beaten for us. And when we drink from the cup, it reminds us of Jesus' blood poured out for us, isn't it? To cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And I think it's, uh, it's very profound, uh, verse 4. Let me read uh, verse 4 again of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 4 there. And drank the same spiritual drink, and they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, the rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So we should enjoy... The presence of Christ, the spiritual presence of Christ, as we remember him by breaking the bread, eating the bread, and drinking from the cup. I think there's a lot more probably going on in the Lord's Supper than probably we realise, isn't there? We're supposed to know the presence of Christ in a very real and powerful way. And maybe Austin will correct me next week. (laughs) But I'm sorry, I'm jumping into verse 16 here. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Now, obviously, we're not Roman Catholics. We don't believe the bread turns into anything. We don't believe that the bread grape juice turns into anything. But we should know the spiritual presence of Christ in a very real and powerful way in the Lord's Supper. We should have communion with God, isn't it? Um, And as we're coming towards the end, uh, let's uh, remind ourselves of question 46 in the New City Catechism, New City Question and Answer. Uh, What is the Lord's Supper? So this is written by sort of Tim Keller, or sort of, Edited by him, sort of put together by him, isn't it? Uh, And this is what's written in the New City Catechism. What is the Lord's Supper? Christ commanded all Christians to eat bread and to drink from the cup in thankful remembrance of him and his death. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of the presence of God in our midst, bringing us into communion with God and with one another feeding and nourishing our souls. It also anticipates the day when we will eat and drink with Christ in his Father's kingdom. Isn't that quite something? One day we're going to physically eat with Christ in his Father's kingdom. 
And as we have this sort of little meal now, it's pointing forward to that great meal we're going to enjoy one day. But there's also warnings in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13, isn't there? There are warnings against sin in this passage. Warnings against idolatry, immorality, testing Christ, you know, testing his patience, his goodness, sort of doubting Jesus' goodness. And there's warnings against grumbling. And we are also warned, aren't we? We are warned before we come to this table. Uh, let's close with uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 to 30. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. So let us do that now. Let us examine ourselves so that all of us would be able to eat of this bread and drink of this cup in a worthy manner.